This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Creating yantras is a traditional spiritual practice that, just like yoga and meditation, leads you to the source, to a feeling of contentment. Yantras were originally conceived over 4,000 years ago in the northern regions of India. A mystical experience, a centering, comes from a meditative practice that has a spiritual focal point. Creating yantras is a particularly powerful spiritual practice that enables you to connect your essential creative self with its expression. Working with these designs has become part of contemporary stress reduction practices brought to us from the East along with yoga and Eastern philosophies. Sacred yantras are made up of the following components. The bhupur, outline, circle, petals, triangle, six-pointed star or square, and bindu, central dot. Most of these shapes are purely geometrical and relate to the cosmic laws of sacred geometry. Sacred geometry is a pre-linguistic form of communication through basic archetypal symbols that has been used in various forms throughout civilization. It is the shape's placement on the yantra, centrally around the bindu, that gives the forms a magnetic charge. The elements are placed to bring your eyes from the outside to the center, mirroring the spiritual practice of harnessing the mind from its wandering tendencies to rest upon the object of perception and bring you to rest peacefully at the center of your being. The only purely non-geometric form used in the yantra is the petal. This form is thought of as the lotus petal, directing your gaze inward to the center. The petal directs the lower mind to the higher mind or consciousness. Drawing the petal's free hand, with help of the semicircular guide, can bring a feeling of connecting your personality with the yantra. The free form of the petals is juxtaposed with the more structural universality of the geometric shapes. This merging of natural shapes with the strictly geometric forms is a beautiful aspect of the yantra. One of the key teachers in bringing this knowledge to the West was Sarah Tomlinson's teacher, the late, great Sri Harish Johari. See further reading for his and other notable teachers in this century. Today, the practice of yantra painting is done mostly in the confines of one's own home as a devotional puja, an offering to a deity, to bring healing and good fortune to one's family and home. It is, largely thanks to the students of Harish Johari, also becoming taught and practiced in yoga centers throughout Europe and the USA, allowing this ancient art to be incorporated into many flourishing Western spiritual practices. In this episode, Valeria interviews Sarah Tomlinson, the author of Nine Designs for Inner Peace, the ultimate guide to meditating with color, shape, and sound 
and Yantra Bliss Oracle Deck. Sarah Tomlinson is an internationally acclaimed Yantrika, Yantra teacher and practitioner, yoga teacher and artist, with renowned fans across the globe, including Elena Brower and Sharon Gannon, co-founder of Jiva Mukti Yoga. Sarah worked extensively with her mentor Harish Chohari in India. He initiated her into the spiritual practice of painting yantras. Sarah is the author of Coloring Yantras, Shambhala Publications, 2017, Nine Designs for Inner Peace, Destiny Publishing, 2008, and creator of the Yantra Bliss Oracle Deck, 2017. She leads retreats and yantra workshops around the world and enjoys lots of time by the ocean with her husband and two young boys. Here is the interview with Sarah Tomlinson. In your own words, who is Sarah Tomlinson? Mm, Sarah Tomlinson is an artist, an inspiration, a spiritual inspiration to many to wake up their own creativity and connection to God. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, uh, Nine Designs for Inner Peace, The Ultimate Guide to Meditating with Color, Shape, and Sound, and also the Yantra Bliss Oracle Deck. I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. So the first warm-up question is general. What is life to you, Sarah? Mm, life is appreciating the things that come to you. What do you think is the opposite of life? Is there such a thing? Mm, well, if, if it was the opposite of that, it would be, I guess, complaining about the things that come to you. What does it mean to be a human? I just see the human human nature is a it's this opportunity to experience, right? Experience through the senses, life, relationships, beauty. Do you have your own definition for well-being? I feel like, you know, when you move through life and you can soften your belly, that's a pretty good definition of well-being. Right. I like that. <laughs> What do you think freedom is, or what does freedom mean to you? Freedom is usually to do with your mind's ability to feel it has choices. Mm, yeah, choices. Like choices and in terms of how you respond to situations, mainly about responding, right? We can't always choose the weather, but we can choose how to respond to the weather. And continue with my warm-up questions. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need and do you have a vision for a new reality i think the community factor is really big right now so the greatest need i would say would be connection with peers and like minds and moving away from a situation where we we feel like some authority is going to handle situations for us you know now it's a time to come together and do things as a collective Yes, yeah. I love that idea of um, taking responsibility right, for our lives in general. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really just, it's sort of like, in a way, as a positive byproduct of the situation we're in right now. From challenges also can come growth, isn't it? 
Yeah, and these opportunities, and now it's like nobody's really afraid to take a risk and speak up and, you know, question the status quo. And there's a lot of energy bubbling, I feel. And my next question is about love. What is love to you? Really, love is allowing yourself to be yourself in the company of others. You know, when, like, when I met my husband, I felt like I could finally be myself with somebody else. And so just how to continue that in all kinds of relationships, but just to even notice it in your own body when you feel that. What is your understanding and idea of inner peace? Well, it's funny because, you know, we're going to be talking about my book, right? Nine Designs for Inner Peace. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a whole world inside us, right? The mystical world that we connect with through meditation and through these spiritual practices. And so inner peace is just when there's a conversation between our inner world and our outer world, and we see how, how they're connected. So say I do a spiritual practice, and then I start to see my relationships transform or my ability to respond to situations transform. So I feel like inner peace is actually finding the peace of ourselves inside us that is also responsible for what we're creating in our outer life. I have a few more warm-up questions. The next one's about God. What, where, and who is God to you? I feel like God is the word that's the intangible essence of everything that is in everything. So the same idea of inner peace is connecting with that divinity or the essence within us and then seeing it in everything. So it's this sort of like the subtle magic that's in everything. And so highlighting it in a goddess or a form or a god is just a way to build a connection with it, but ultimately is to see it in everything. Yes, a thousand times <laughs> to this God in everything, right? Mm, yeah, and then in ourselves, this is the hardest place always to look for it. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? I think that different people need different things. And so some people need a more kind of formal, organized container for their spirituality. But I would say spirituality can be perceived in different ways. So I wouldn't say there's sort of good or bad or one or the other. I just think it's different ways people need to relate to the spiritual. You know, sometimes people need a more formalized container for it. Right. So I would say religion is probably a more formalized way of perceiving spirituality. Yeah. I like the way you say that there's no good or bad. It's just choices, right? We make different choices. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your work. And my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer? You know, I always liked, I mean, my whole journey is discovering yantras. I was a yogini from a very young age and then an artist. And then when I discovered yantras, I was so happy that I could find the connection between art and spirituality, right? It's like they came together. And I, the, my enthusiasm led me to want to teach other people how to make yantras. And the writing came from my students asking me, how can they make yantras when I'm not around? Mm -hmm. So then I realized I had to start to write down the process and then learn how to explain, you know, in writing what I would teach at workshops. So actually it just became a way for me to give my students notes so that when they went home, they had something to follow. That makes sense. The way of teaching from a distance, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, felt like it was needed, you know? So sometimes when there's a need, you can do it. Like when someone asks you a question, all of a sudden you have the answer. Before that, you might not have thought of it. Mm. So I wasn't writing a book just to write the book. I was writing it because people were asking me, how do I make these yantras when you're not around? And I felt like these yantra workshops, you can have 10 people in a yantra workshop, right? So 
how could I reach more than 10 people? And, and it's pretty funny because it's kind of complex to explain how to teach a yantra. And yet it translated very well in that book, just the step-by-step, the drawings, the diagrams, just methodically following the steps. And I have people now all over the world writing to me and saying, thank you. Now I've just made the Venus yantra. Now I've just made the Jupiter yantra. So I'm, I'm kind of thrilled that it works. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love your work. Oh my God. The well written and it's so easy to kind of follow the instructions. Everything's so organized and um, perfectly explained. I love how clear it is and the design, everything about it. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that, that that book was published by Inner Traditions and they really did a great job with the editing and the formatting of that book, you know, because it's almost like a recipe book. It's very easy to follow. Right. And yet it has esoteric information in it, you know, it has many layers of information. Right, it's beautiful. And the Yantra Bliss Oracle deck too that you sent me, this is amazing. It's just just to look at it, it makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very visual practice, you know? And so it's like, so we can respond to the colors and the shapes. It's sacred geometry. And it does have an uplifting feeling. So that's, it's beautiful. It gets you out of your mind and you, do, you have a direct connection to color, to shape. It's, it's sort of like color therapy with just a little more wisdom tradition behind it. Before meeting you, I actually didn't know anything about the Yantras. So now I have lots of questions here. But before that, how did you become a Yantrika, a Yantra teacher and practitioner? Well, it was through this enthusiasm. You know, I actually studied with, first I studied with Harish Johari. And simultaneously, I met another teacher. So one teacher lived in the north of India called Harish Johari. And then another teacher lived in the south of India called Sri Amritananda. And I kind of had the South Indian teacher's blessings to study the Sri Yantra, which some of you may have seen. This is the most popular Yantra probably with multiple triangles in the middle. And so I had this practice of, of doing this Sri Yantra every new moon and every full moon since 1998 when he taught me it. So that was like the beginning of me doing that practice. And then simultaneously, I would spend time in North India with Harish Johari. And he taught me the 24 yantras that are in the Oracle deck. And he just taught me how to make them. He taught me what they were about, how to use them. And then when I started practicing them, I would just start to notice things in my life that would correspond to the yantras I was choosing, the effect it was having on me, why I was choosing it. And then when I started teaching people in these small workshops, I would start to notice the same kind of thing. Like the people drawn to certain yantras were having something in their life that was happening, you know, like they were just, they broke up with somebody or they were about to move or, you know, some significant thing. And so I started to notice this set of patterns as to all the 24 yantras, why people choose them, what their healing effect is, and I just, I don't know, through my own practice and through the practice of teaching, I just really have a feel for, for them, right? And so once you practice them every day and it just becomes your main spiritual practice, then, you know, in the language here, people who study Tantra, which is actually the study of mantra, sound, and yantra, mantra and yantra makes a tantra practice okay so it's an ancient practice using yantras and it's funny how mantras have become more popular but i feel like slowly yantras are kind of catching up in the west 
And so a mantrika is someone who practices mantra. Tantrika <laughs> is someone who studies tantra and practices. It's like a practitioner. And so yantrika is somebody who really is well-versed in yantra. So that's really just kind of the semantics of those words, you know? So yantra is a visual container for the energy of a deity. So it's the energy you meditate on in visual form. And mantra, you could say, is the audible form of the deity. By creating the yantras, we are actively meditating. Yeah, it's actually interesting because a lot of people, they get very quiet. You know how there's been this coloring trend? They get quiet through an activity. And so it's similar in that way. It's just that the activity is not just coloring any shape or pattern. It's actually a very specific pattern that is the container for that energy of the divine, right? It's It's almost like a formula. So... The activity itself, it's devotional because of the deity. It's also very peaceful to be engaged in that activity. Sometimes, just again, different kinds of people. Some people need no activity. They sit down and they go into silence. Some people, they sit down, they get kind of anxious when there's nothing to do. So for those people, I think it is actually very temperament-based, you know. For some people, they need to be doing something to calm down and to connect with that sense of quiet. Because when they're engaged in that, they're in the moment, and then they're not thinking about all their problems. (laughs) And they're not thinking about what they're doing tomorrow. And then they just connect with that peacefulness. And then maybe after a period of drawing or coloring or reciting the mantra, then they might sit quietly. It's like that would just kind of wind them down enough to be able to sit quietly. Some people, they need to do something in order to... uh... Calm down. So true. And talk to me for a moment about your early experiences with art and yoga. I always liked painting. I don't know why. Just when I, I lived in England, and I guess just as a hobby, I, w- I found yoga. My mother had a yoga book, and I just felt so good. I would kind of copy the shapes and breathe into them just from a yoga manual. And so I just love doing that on my own. So I'm almost like a self-taught yogi. You know, I just did my own practice for years until I actually took a yoga class. And then with painting, I guess it was kind of taxing being at the school I was at in England. And then on the weekend or on the evenings, I just couldn't wait to paint. You know, it was a different part of the brain. And actually, I went on to go to college in the end, and I did go to art school. I just realized that was my happy place, you know, painting and very color-based, light-based. So it kind of evolved into working with the yantras. And I know you mentioned before, and I read too, that you lived in India. What was the most profound lesson or experience you had there? I don't know if I would say I lived there, but I spent many months there. So uh, I lived there for a few months, a few times. How's that? Yeah, that sounds good too. <laughs> I just like the way it was so interwoven. You know, when I stayed there, I would either be staying at the ashram, uh, the kind of temple of the teacher in the South India. And so that was a community. And then same in the North. When I was in the North with my yantra teacher, Harish Johari, we would stay in his family house. And he had a big courtyard. And... There were just people around and and there was just this mindfulness about practice and kind of everybody pitching in. So people would all be helping with the cooking or they'd all be helping with what needed to be done every day. And I wound into that 
was also prayer in the morning and sitting by a fire in the morning. And then, so there's just something nice about the pace and the punctuation of spiritual practices throughout the day. And I think it was specific to where I was staying. I mean, most people in India honestly do have an altar in their house and they have things like that. But in his house, it was a very spiritual, uh, you know, spiritually rich environment. And he had a lot of guests who would pop by because he was very well known. So there was always someone interesting coming for afternoon tea, you know, like famous astrologers or a saint that happened to be in town. And so it was just, it was amazing. I just loved it so much. I was like a sponge, you know, I was just so ready. I was in my late twenties, I guess. And I just couldn't believe how much fun it was to be always learning and to be always in this rich environment. And his wife was always chanting, you know, all these mantras. And it's just very special. A lot of um, wisdom or practicing wisdom, right, all the time. Yes, and just daily. Yeah, daily. And it felt like, you know, his family, and there's all this extended family, his mother had died. So that was the his children's grandmother. And they would always, there were so many of them that would say, well, my grandmother always taught me to do this, this, and this. So a lot of their daily wisdom and Ayurveda, really, okay, it was just this sort of folkloric teaching that just happened throughout the day. So it was kind of special that I just got to, you know, learn it just by living there. And since you mentioned Ayurveda. Yeah, yeah, Ayurveda. Ayurveda. What is that exactly? Well, the, yeah, the word Ayurveda means the science of life. And the idea is that our bodies are a little microcosm, small version of the macrocosm. So, you know, whatever's going on outside, we can also attend to our bodies. So, if, for example, if it's sunny and hot like summer, then our own bodies also will probably hot. So maybe we need cooling treatments, cooling therapies. So the idea of Ayurveda is to keep bringing yourself into balance with your surroundings, whether it's the climate, whether it's, you know, your very immediate surroundings. So it's a way of living in balance through diet, through lifestyle, through spiritual practices. Also, there's an astrological component. And Harish Johari was very big on the planets and the days of the week. So everybody in the household would dress to honor the planets for the days of the week. So today we're doing this conversation on Thursday. Thursday, the color for Jupiter is the Thursday planet, and everybody would be wearing gold or yellow because that is the color for Jupiter. And then even the lunch had a yellow doll. So it was kind of fun to feel how these teachings were woven into, you know, the way, the rhythm of the week and the rhythm of the days. Because he was, in a way, connecting everything since everything's connected anyway. Yes, that's right. And he was, yeah, so really it was Ayurveda that he basically taught us, you know, and it was just, but it also was like Ayurveda and his, and his mother's wisdom, you know, probably the same thing. So talk to me about the nine designs, radiance, nourishment, passion, intellect, expansion, bliss, organization, uniqueness, and spirituality. But before that, I have to ask you this question, why nine? Why nine designs and not 12 or... Yeah, well, it's good. This is a good segue from the conversation about the planets and the days of the week, because it's based on astrology and the planets we work with, actually in Ayurvedic astrology, and we work with nine planets. Actually, they're not all planets. Some are called luminaries, but just generally we say nine planets. So those are the nine designs in the book, because the idea is that we are composed of nine elements, just like 
most of us know we're composed of the moon somehow. You know how people get their menstrual cycle on the new moon or the full moon or the tides are connected to the moon. Well, in that same way, all of our humors and tendencies are connected to planetary energies. So what Harish Johari taught me was how to work with those energies and bring yourself into balance. So that's really what the nine designs are. They are yantras for each of the planets. And then what does, how does that bring you into balance? Can you briefly, I know you have a lot of information in the book about each one of them, but I would love for you to describe or talk to me about each one of them, Sarah. So a little introduction to the... Yes, that would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. They're called the Navagrahas. Those are nine forces. And so you, you read the, there's like an English name for the quality, and then there's the planet name. So the first one actually would be the sun. And that's Surya, and the quality there is radiance, because, you know, when you're imbued with solar quality, you feel confident and courageous and magnetic and radiant, right? So this word radiant. So oftentimes when it's a time to kind of, it's not like a staying home time as much, it's a creative getting out there and connecting with people kind of energy. So that's why you might make that sun yantra, that radiant yantra, just for a little bit of um to increase your confidence and sense of self. I know you sent me a small one. The, ah, yeah, I forgot. I don't know the name, but I have it in front of me. Yeah. yeah, so my business card is a Durga Yantra on one side. And so that's, a, that's also got a similar quality, actually. It's for courage and love. So yeah, the next one is uh, nourishment. Good, the moon. The so when, we, uh, when we're drawn to the moon, the moon, the main quality is nourishment. So it's, in, it's to do with the heart. And to do with how you're taking care of yourself, so self-care, self-nourishment. Sometimes, you know, we're so busy running around, we forget to take care of ourselves. So it's a more reflective, nurturing time. Sometimes also devotional to do with being with mothers and babies and children and water. So that's a very lunar energy. It's, a little, it's much less dynamic, right? It's a more receptive time. So sometimes if you're drawn to making that one, it's just really to restore yourself and have a more inward time. So the colors for that are more pastel and bluey and mauve. Yeah, that makes me think, just for a moment, uh, about the uh, feminine and masculine energies. Yeah, right? that's very similar. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The sun and the moon. The sun is more masculine. And it's usually the king, right, archetypally. And then the moon is this more feminine energy. Exactly, yeah. I actually have this fun class I teach on the nine planets. At some point, Valeria, you're going to have to take it. It really is a fun. I do it online, you know, it's like an eight-week class. Right. And it's super fun because we go into these archetypes in depth. So right now you're getting a snapshot of this. Of course I do. Right. Okay, right. so what's next? So um, the next one is, Passion. Right. Passion. Passion is this bright red triangle, upward pointing on the yantra, and it's red and pink. It has a slightly different feeling than the sun. The sun was also red, but it's more orange and golden, right? This is a little more uplifting and again, a little more masculine. And it's to do with focus and drive and kind of vibration, kind of the Kundalini energy. And so usually that's if you need to be a little energized and a little focused to get something done. You know, it's hard to get something done if you're all over the place. True. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so this is why we're 
we need that sometimes. And uh, so that's that's Mars, right? You can any way we can imagine the energy of Mars. Wow, they look so beautiful. Like I'm looking at them. That's just mesmerizing. And the next one is intellect. So intellect is is green. Yeah, is Mercury. So Mercury is all about subtle sensation and under, developing an understanding of, it's a little bit, sounds cerebral, but actually it's heartfelt. It's about under, developing an understanding of who am I? You know, this really big question, who am I? And starting to observe yourself almost as a witness to how you move through life. And so mercurial energy, it can be playful, it can be youthful, it can be changing things around and playing, but it's sort of in this, this way where you're starting just to watch life as a play. Mm, oh, I love that. It's soothing. Yeah, just when you look at that green, it's kind of soothing, you know? The next one is expansion. That's another wonderful one. So expansion is this today energy that we discussed, Jupiter. So Jupiter is Thursday, and then these are days of the week too. So Jupiter is all about community, something we mentioned earlier, and communing. Communing with it can be with nature, right? But just the sense of ritual and communing and inactivity and community. So it's, it's, it's definitely, again, not the hermit one. It's more the, the energy of moving out towards the light. If you're feeling stuck or trapped or claustrophobic, you could work with a yantra like the yellow one and you start to feel more spacious inside. And I think it would bring more light to you through the people around you and the things that you do, you know, uplifting. It feels like just by looking at it, I can imagine drawing and doing all the work, which I'm going to try. (laughs) Oh, good. And the next one is bliss. Yeah, the bliss yantra I mean, actually, all the yantras are based on gemstones, the colors. Yeah. It's like the potency of a planetary energy is related to a gemstone. So Venus is related to diamond and the idea of the reflect, ref, uh, refracted light that comes off a diamond. So it's very um, interesting to look at. It looks a little crystalline, right? Even the yantra itself is a very different image, and it's beautiful to meditate on. And it's, it's a set of interlacing squares that go backwards in space. It's, and it's subtle colors. It's like pale blues and pinks. And so Venus in all cultures is the planet of love and romance and also peace and harmony. So it's very feminine in that way that it's not about conflict or, you know, aggression. Or It's just how can I move forward at peace, at ease, in my heart center, doing creative things. So it's a beautiful energy. I've, I'm very drawn to the Venus energy, I think, just as an artist. Yeah, that's more feminine, I would say. Yes, right? it is. Yeah. It is. Yes. It emanates that. Yeah. The next one is organization yantra. So the organization yantra is one that you use if you feel like you need some quiet. It's almost the opposite of all those going out ones. It's, it's like the, it relates to Saturn. And Saturn here is to do with cave time and silence and even that feeling you know when you go home and you just want to clean your house and get rid of all these things and kind of wipe the slate clean and start over (laughs) that emptying that decluttering and just maybe also getting into your physical body and doing a physical like a yoga practice or actually here is where you might just want to sit in silence Mm. you know not do an activity right 
So it's, this is really the, the reductionist yantra. It's just, and it looks like midnight blue, right? It just looks like the dark sky at night. It's the opposite of busy. Right? It's just when you need a sense of simplicity just to kind of reset. The next one is uniqueness yantra. So there's a pair coming up, the uniqueness and the spirituality. And they are interesting because they're shadow planets. And so we don't have those in Western astrology, but they're eclipse points in the sky, but they function like planets. So the first one is Rahu, that's the uniqueness. And that is the aspect of ourselves that is unique. So what is it about you that isn't quite like everybody else on the block? Mm, right. This is When you're drawn to that yantra, it, it's saying, give yourself permission to do your thing. So often we kind of, through conditioning and through society, we, we kind of close that aspect of ourselves down. And it, this is the, when you're drawn to that, it's like, okay, it's time to do your thing. And it's so refreshing for everybody else. You know, when you finally express yourself, usually creatively, but it could be many things. So that's the uniqueness one. It just really means go and do your own thing and don't look around at what everybody else is doing. And maybe you'll be a trendsetter. You know, it has that little bit of energy that you could actually be starting a new trend. And then the other one, which go, and that one is like, uh, the colors are very interesting too, aren't they? They're like dusty pink, dusty mauve, and the brown kind of colors, really alluring and unusual palette. The other one is the, the last one of the nine is, uh, spirit, it's called spirituality because it's, it's again a sense of a unique connection that you have with your own spirituality. Not something somebody at the yoga center tells you to do, not something somebody at the church tells you to do. But what is it when you're really away from everybody? What is it that really just connects you to that quiet place? And so it could be really super weird. And the image for this one is to be almost just super out of your mind, not in a hedonistic way, but just in a very beyond, you know, beyond, beyond the material plane. Where do you go? And then there's permission just to do that. So it actually has a lot to do with solitude in that way that you can't really do that around other people. Otherwise, I'll just think you're weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> True. Yeah, you need to give yourself permission. Just what if I just let go and just let my mind go and you know, where am I going to go? And uh, archetypally, people could do that through drugs, right? right. But yeah. when you're doing it in a spiritual practice, the idea is how can you do that through yantras and mantras and then, you know, get yourself into a really a deep space to renew yourself. So it's an interesting ninth, ninth one, you know, because it's like all the others have qualities that we see in the outer world. And then that ninth one is just sort of circles back to you at your most pure with, with nobody watching you know what is what does that look like wow. and the sage green that one is very also an interesting color it's like olive green yeah. sage greens weird kind of celadon right in the middle that makes me think also about surrender and letting go and acceptance oh, yeah, the last mm -hmm. one, right? Yeah, because the mind is fighting everything, right? The mind is the thing that's just not surrendering and accepting. So if you're going to get out of your head, then you're basically just surrendering to whatever the mind's doing and you're just going beyond the level of activity that's the mind. So I love the way you have all of them in one page so we can choose 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Cheers. Yes. That's nice. Yeah. Which one are you most drawn to today? It's interesting. I was drawn to maybe because the mine was attracted always to the uh, radiance. That's my favorite color. I'm always attracted to orange. But then the bliss one has been attracting me a lot more. Today, the expansion one too. So we need to meditate before, right, Sarah, in order to pick one because I have three in my mind now. Right. Well, you know what? Sometimes you can just get a little centered, you know, and then you take a look and then one is going to have a lasting kind of connection to you. Usually when you're drawn to a yantra, you so you say you have nine in front of you, or if you have the card deck, you'll have 24 in front of you. If there are other deck cards in the deck, but there's 24 yantras. And what you'll do is see which one is just, it's almost like it looks brighter than all the others, oh, right? That one is kind of calling you. Right. And so it's not the mind choosing. It's just, it's almost like an optical illusion. You feel like one is brighter than the others, right? It's really attractive to you. And usually what that means is that energy is already starting to wake up in you, but it needs a little bit of encouragement to really fully manifest, mm. So just as it's just sense of trusting. And if you really are drawn to both of them, then if I had the card deck, say it was you, I would say for a little while, I might put out the Jupiter, the yellow one, the expansion. I might put out the sun, the radiance, and I might put out, what was the last one? The, the Venus, the bliss. The bliss right. And then over time, one of them is just going to, it just naturally happens. One just stays really vibrant and the other two just look a little dull. Mm. It's just interesting. And so then you stay working with the most vibrant one and because it means you need it. It means you need that support right now with that energy. And once you've worked with it, you can do the mantra, you can color them, you can make them from scratch and you can paint them. You can even just put the card up. You start to get to know the energy and then you can say the mantra. There's a, there's a seed sound for each yantra and you can start to say that, and then you just start to feel like you've befriended it. And once you've befriended it enough, you just feel like, okay, I, I'm done. And then, <laughs> then you can put it, put it back until you need the next one. But it can take a while. Like, traditionally, we spend at least 40 days with that energy to really get to know it. Wow. And it's waking up part of ourselves. So it just was a little bit, you know, needing encouragement. What's interesting for you is that all of the ones you picked are really to do with positivity and growth. But you're right. I look at the page and I see the, the bliss one. My eyes are being attracted to it a lot more than the other ones. And so the, working with the senses, working with beauty, really surrounding yourself with positive company, that's going to be really important. I'll do that then. This one, I'll have the larger image next to me mm. yeah today i mean for i'll put in front of me my close my computer yes yes keep it out and, and i think it'll be really helpful it just bring in uh, like another level of confidence comfort being comfortable in your feminine self and also creates creativity you know yeah venus is the planet of creativity also there i are youtube videos i haven't made so many yet but i've made some on, May and on how to draw the yantras if the book is not enough. And there actually is a Venus one. So if you decided you wanted to leave more hands-on instruction, you could watch, that, watch the video. It's just, I think the channel is just Sarah Tomlin's and Yantra. Oh, that would be great. The videos too. I'll have the link on your profile because I didn't know about the YouTube channel. Now I do. Yeah, it actually is great. You know, like I said, I need to work on it more. 
but there are quite a few videos. And again, people around the world are writing to me saying they are loving making these yantras. And I'm just so happy that I've made them accessible because think about it. I had to go to India right. to study with someone who's now left his body. So it's like, this just feels like a time where these practices are getting more accessible. You know, they used to be more secret, right? More esoteric. And now it's like we, we're ready to use them. And I think it's exciting. But I, I love, I absolutely love this. So I'm mesmerized yeah. by it too. Well, no, I'm kind of interested to see how you feel when you start making them. You know, like you're really going to it's like watching someone doing your headstand <laughs> and then doing a headstand, yeah. right? Once you do the headstand, you're like, wow, that was intense, you know, something. But watching it, it looks interesting, but you don't get the experience. So I'm kind of, I'm excited now to see how you feel doing the practice of making the answer. Yeah, the bliss one. That's the one I'm going to begin right. with. That's a great one to start with because anyway, it's about creativity. So it'll be supportive for you. So I guess the other question I have, I'm almost at the end here with my questions, but I have uh, about the shapes and their meaning. Can you talk to me about the meaning of the shapes? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Sacred geometry is about shape and color in this, in this conversation. And really, sacred geometry actually is just about shape, right? And what's interesting is all over the world, there is sacred geometry. And so it's this language, this is universal language that goes beyond some level of mind that is involved with spoken language. So I feel like it connects with a deeper place in our psyche, you know, almost like somewhere nearer the dream language or something that, you know, like Jung and his symbols, you know, there's a level of mind there that's a little different from conversational language, you know, because conversational language is different in every culture, right? Every country. But you see a six-pointed star in Hinduism, in Judaism, in Christianity, in, you know, all these other things. And so that's just something. Shapes are this primal language. And the way I work with them is really through their meaning as seen in Tantra, which is Tantra here for me is the esoteric level of Hinduism. You know, usually the word Tantra is to do with weaving the mystical into your daily life. And it's often thought of as the esoteric teaching within any tradition. So there is actually tantric, Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism, you know, different things. But the way I work with the symbols really is based on the teachings, again, of Harish Johari and the symbolism in Hindu Tantra. So... Therefore, in Tantra, we talk a lot about the feminine and the masculine and how they come together to make one. A lot of this practice is about the oneness. So when you look at a yantra, actually the one of the shapes is the dot at the very center. You see how they all have that dot in the middle? Right, yeah. It's a little tiny circle, and that's yeah. called the, the bindu. And that is the space where all of the feminine and the masculine join and become one. So that's like the yoga, the union of the oneness of everything. So God and the mundane, you know, the divine and the mundane, the feminine and the masculine, you and the deity. And so that is really the common theme within all the yantras is this bindu, this central point. And around that are a collection of shapes, and they're all a little different, and some of them are similar and only different because of the color, right? Right, yeah, yeah. But they're generally a square, a circle, a triangle, very rudimentary. You know, even in kindergarten, it's also going to 
teach you the same things. Again, kindergarten is like pre really being involved in spoken language, right? Yeah. Uh, even signs on the highway, you know, it's a triangle or it's a stop sign or it's a, it speaks to some part of you that's just very immediate. So, yeah, those are the basic shapes. I don't know if you have a specific question. No, you covered really well. Yeah, I was noticing the, the dot in the middle, but I mm-hmm. didn't know exactly what he meant. I felt almost like uh, this one-pointed meditation. Good, good, yeah. Yeah, that's great, because that is, that is the focal point of the mantra. And it's said that the deity lives right there. So that's so all that energy and all the colors in the shape bring you, they, like they slowly lead you to the center. And so that's where you're going to be meditating when you're gazing at the mantra at the end. And then also talk about a place. Do you recommend a, a specific place, a place to have them once we're done, or... Uh, how do we choose the place to have them? Yeah, well, it can be a few things. One can be direction, every, especially if you're working with the planets. Every planet has a direction. So, for example, the sun, which you pick the radiance, lives in the east, right? The sun rises in the east. And so you might place it on the wall. Or if you decided you wanted to have a very sunny, courageous, big, big development in your career, for example... You might say, I want to put a sun yantra over my desk. So sometimes it depends on the area in your life you're trying to bring that energy to. So then you would put it in that particular part of your house. Other times you would put it in the direction where that energy is strongest. However, my experience is even above and beyond that. Sometimes that works out. But sometimes you just actually walk around your house with the yantra and you kind of find a spot where it feels like it's happy. Also, at the beginning, you're going to work with it every day, right, for these 40 days. And so if you have a meditation practice or a little altar or something, it'll live there at the beginning, right? And then when it's really vibed up, that's when you put it in a certain place in your house. And then it brings up the energy in your home. So it's actually really nice to have the yantras up in your house. I was just wondering if we can have them like all of them, if we need to paint all of them, which I think would be a wonderful idea. So could we have them like in a house everywhere and then change? I mean, is that a good idea to have all of them in the house in one space or is that yeah. too much? <laughs> it could be a little much. I, it, could be a bit, it depends. Again, it depends on the end of your house. But I would say they probably need a little bit of space around them. You know, probably one or two in each room is enough. And again, very kind of just the energy. Like what is the upbeat room? What is the room where you want to be very relaxed? What is the room, you know? And so it's almost like you have a little bit of auspiciousness and a little bit of a blessing because the answers actually give you blessings. You want to have a little bit of that in each room. And then maybe in one room, you don't want anything because you just want almost like the blank canvas. So I feel like it could be too much or it could just be a beautiful altar to have them all. Again, that might depend on the temperament of the person. No rules, right, Sarah? I love the way you say it. Let it speak to you and use more your intuition. I love that idea too. I'm not trying to uh, control and have everything because you can. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, they're very powerful and it's like you really do have to listen to them. And my last question, I have a few more final questions for you. But the last question about the yantras is the the tools that we need to create them. Talk to me about that. 
Uh, well, it depends where you're going to start. Sometimes you can start with an outline. You know, the, in I have a coloring book. At the end of that nine designs, there's an outline, right? So if you only want to do the coloring, which is also a great practice, then you might just need coloring pencils or pens. If, on the other hand, you want to start and do this drawing, you will need a compass because most of the measurements are actually done with a compass. I would suggest a mechanical compass. Okay. It sounds a little scary if those yeah, of you are not used to a compass, <laughs> but it's not. It's like $14 at, you know, Dick Lick Art Store, and it's worth getting a good compass just so it doesn't slip. The, the cheaper ones slip, but it's not that much money, $12, $14. So you need a compass because a lot of circles get drawn, and you get really good at drawing circles. And then I always suggest a see-through ruler to draw the straight lines because you kind of want to see where, what, where things are lining up. If you really want to get good, you get a grid ruler. It has like a grid, a faint grid on it. And that also helps you line things up. So a compass and a ruler and then an eraser because you erase a lot of the markings when you make the yantra. At the beginning, you make a lot of marks and then you erase them and you're left with the yantra outline. So an eraser and then a, pen, a good pencil that can be very sharp. I feel like that's it for the basic drawing tools. Yeah, I love that. I know you mentioned that we can use paint too, yeah. if we want to. Yeah, yeah paint, it's very relaxing doing the painting because once you've done the drawing, the drawing is the more exacting part of it. And then the painting, you know, the color. And so I like to use gouache paint and gouache is very forgiving. You know, you can paint and then you can, it dries, then you add some water and you can begin again. You know, it doesn't become like plasticky. You can keep the paints going and you get beautiful colors and you can get silver and gold and metallics. And, you know, so I work with gouache, but really you can use any media. You know, I've seen people do it with like crushed up gemstones. I've seen them do it with all kinds of interesting, you know, flowers, materials, so there's no end of things you could do. You have to find something that's relaxing, right? It shouldn't be a stressful practice. It should be something that's fun. So I would just say whatever feels the most fun, you know, that you do that. Being creative, that brings us to the present moment. It's a wonderful practice uh, to just be here yeah. now, right? And relax yeah. the mind. Yeah, and relaxing. And then you just get into the present moment. And again, like I was saying, this active meditation you stop thinking about other stuff. And then what happens is what's really important will just come to you. And it's kind of beautiful just to forget about the mundane things and just see the messages that come to you in that relaxed space. So I have a few final questions for you. But before I ask them, would you like to add anything that I didn't cover? I think we're good. I, I mean, I know you're going to tell everybody all about sarayantra.com, but I feel like it's hard for people who are just listening to this to know exactly what we're talking about. And if you go to, <laughs> yeah. if you do go to my website and you just click on the uh, offerings, just click on yantras and then you'll see a page of all the yantras. And I think it'll really help to have a visual with the conversation. So the website and the YouTube channel too, I'll have that on your interview profile. So my last questions to you is, yeah, this one. What is another word for healing? Wholeness. Connecting, like bringing in, bringing in all those parts of you that you've pushed to one side. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? I see the I see the challenge in that question, but I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Not much. No. Mm, I, I love I to do. hear that. <laughs> I love my life. I love my family. I love the work I'm doing. I love working with my students. I love my practices. You know, it's like the stuff that there are challenges that come. It's just that I love the arena that I meet them in. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Well, always to be kind. I know that's important. You never know what other people are going through, right? So it's just like how to keep meeting people with kindness, gratitude, be grateful for what comes, and being curious. The last one makes me think about being curious, being the opposite of being judgmental. So it has been a fun conversation, though. I love the way you speak, your energy. <laughs> it's memorizing, too. It's similar to the energies of these yantras. Uh, <laughs> so you are a representation of the work. How beautiful. And my final technical question. Uh, I know you mentioned before, but please mention again, where can we find more information about you, your books, your work, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, it's all going to be on sarayantra.com. Also, my Instagram is, is where I'm most active. So that's at sarayantra. And that's it. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Sarah. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for inviting me, Valeria. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sarah Tomlinson, please visit her website, sarayantra.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.